Welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, a podcast for the politically aware brought to you by the Alliance Party. Content for this episode was recorded on June 22, 2020. And a good evening to you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the podcast. And this evening, we're talking with Scott Fawn, publisher of a statewide newspaper in Missouri called The Missouri Times. He also publishes several local papers throughout Missouri, and he also hosts the only statewide political television show in Missouri entitled This Week in Missouri Politics. The Missouri Times, which is available in both print and digital format, focuses on Missouri statewide politics and policy. It was founded in 2013 and has been publishing ever since. We invited Scott to the show today to provide key insight to Missouri politics and, more generally, help us ascertain the pulse of the Midwest. Missouri holds historical relevance as being the gateway to the West, where it essentially became the jump-off point for 19th century westward expansionism. Historically, Missouri has often been at war with itself. During the Civil War, for example, fighting literally took place between adjacent counties and often between adjacent neighbors. Today, Missouri consists of moderately large urban and suburban areas, but from the perspective of landmass, Missouri is largely rural. As such, Missouri struggles with issues that span the gamut of challenges from urban to rural. Today, we plan to talk about the challenges Missouri faces during these trying times. COVID-19 is just the latest of a series of problems facing the Midwest. Record flooding in recent years, as well as the trade war with China, has dealt a serious blow to Midwestern farmers. And the cities are dealing with recent protests over police methods nationwide that have killed our African-American fellow citizens. Calls to defund the police resonate in the cities, but don't make much sense in the rural areas. In the middle of all this are people like Scott Vaughn, who document our struggles and try to help people understand the craziness. The Alliance Party After Dark would like to emphasize that the views Scott expresses are his, based on his experiences, and not that of any entity or organization with which he may be affiliated. Scott, welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, and thank you for joining us this evening. Well, Dan, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Good. Well, thank you. And um, so let's let's take the 30,000-foot view here. Um, it, it, and, and this is a very general picture, a very general uh, question that can meander uh, to just about any answer we want. But insofar as politics is concerned, uh, what is working well for Missouri from your perspective and in the Midwest in general? Uh, what's, what's working well right now? And um, what do Missourians think needs improvement? Well, uh, I can tell you from my perspective what's, uh, what's going well for Missouri in state government is the state senate. It is uh, term limits. Um, I guess I'm not a big fan of taking freedom away from people. So they've, you've seen them officially hit. You had some statesmen step into the gap, like a Mike Kehoe or Ron Richard, Jay Watson, and, and limit the damage it's done. Uh, but those guys are gone, and you, they, they handed the baton off to a, to a Caleb Browden and, I, and I, probably your state senator, uh, Dave Schatz, and they're doing the best they can. But I think the state senator has kept us from having some of the same reactionary, you know, conservatives thrown around a lot, and everybody that runs on the Republican side will splash all over everything. But to me, conservative isn't just the government should do nothing. It's that um, you should move slowly. You should be cautious. You should mm-hmm. be conservative in what you do. Uh, term limit states usually become very reactionary and usually fall victim to short-term thinking. Missouri has uh, avoided that, and that's almost completely due to the state Senate. I think what's working well for Missouri is the fact is a guy that grew up not far from UJ Nixon said, we've not jumped into eliminating uh, income tax, which, you know, 
all these arguments are fine. It's just what do you what do you do? What do you get the money from? Mm-hmm. What do you cut? Right. Uh, we we kept a little bit of a uh, little bit of uh, pro- a little bit of sales tax, a little bit of income tax to fund the state, and we've got some uh, property tax, which depending on where you live is just the part that is uh it's become localized and is out of control mm-hmm. and so i would say that there's a um uh i would say there's a there's a growing group of people that uh we've moved slowly we've been midwesterners we've been you got to show me you got to prove it to me that it works right. we've went slow on some things and i think that is proving well i think we're gonna have to you know it's funny to me to hear people I'm generally against raising taxes. You have to make a darn good case. Mm-hmm. However, I don't know how you fight that. We we have very few things to offer. People want to go to where there's they can have no income tax because there's tourism or oil. They want to go to warmer climates. I mean, you could just see the migration of people. Sure. What we have is a lot of wealth. We have some of the highest uh, um, inherited wealth in the country per capita in St. Louis. Mm. I think we have to invest in infrastructure just because of where we are. And we really have... Uh, We've done an adequate job, but to me, it's like Florida invests in their beaches, right? Because that's what they have to offer. Right. Well, Missouri has our geographic footprint. I think, uh, well, we've done an adequate job. The future is we're going to have to upgrade that. Okay. And so, um, it, um, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm just to get this straight. You're saying that uh, you you are you think Missourians are against term limits for our state senators and representatives? Oh, I think that Missourians are formed. And I think that for the most part, they're for, I'd say people thought that that largely would affect um, folks in Washington and mm-hmm. that it's affected folks in Washington, Missouri. And so I uh, I would say that I think Missourians are formed. And I think that, um, you know, if Missouri's views, like everything, they're busy, they're raising their families, they don't have time to sit and observe the state legislature all that much. I don't think they've served the state well. I think they served the state adequately initially mm-hmm. because a lot of towns like Potosi or Shannon County or, or Nixo, they had a couple of people in the pipeline that wanted to run and did what, and could do well, mm-hmm. but couldn't because of term limit. There was a person there for 20 years. Well, now they've most of these towns have sent you the, the, the couple people in the pipeline, but for the most part, it's hard to find someone every six, four, six, eight years to send to the state legislature that is good, that can work for very little to no money, yeah. that can drive four hours and be away from their family. It's not an easy task. Um, I think that folks are for them because it's reflexive, uh, uh, probably more of a statement on the declining opinion of Congress than there's anything else. But I'm not sure that, um, I'm not sure um, there's going to be a, um, I'm not sure there's going to be an honest uh uh, move to really have that discussion anytime soon. So you know, mm-hmm. be having to state cope with it. Yeah. Well, you, you hit upon something that that I've hit upon in, in previous podcasts. And uh, let me see. Let me throw this idea at you. Um, if you have, say, a, a Missouri state representative or Missouri state senator, uh, these guys are uh, uh, required to be in the capital, Jefferson City, which is pretty much at the center of the state. Um, for five months out of the year, it may be more depending upon conditions, but generally it's to say it's five months out of the year. And for that, they get paid $35,000 plus change. And uh, I think a per diem, a daily per diem while they're there. Um, it really, in just my opinion, is that, you know, that sort of precludes a lot of people from jumping into that position because sure. um, it's really hard to sustain yourself um, 
I mean, thirty-five thousand dollars, you know, twenty or thirty years ago was was pretty good money. But nowadays, it's it's not enough to sustain yourself if you have to pay a mortgage and support a family and so on. So, um, it wouldn't wouldn't giving these people a raise make sense in a way so that you can get more people from um, that that you know are are discounting their ability to take this position because of the salary? And now, if that salary is there, they can go for it. I, I look. I, I think that here's the thing. People, you'll hear some conservatives say, "Well, you got to run government like a business." Mm-hmm. Well, usually that's because there's stuff they want to cut, right? Yeah. Uh, running government like a business, and honestly, also means sometimes you got to raise prices, mm-hmm. right? You got to, you got to, you got to. If, if I, I'm an employer, I have employees. Sometimes I want to keep an employee, I have to pay them a little more, right? Because they're right. more valuable somewhere else. You, you. A lot of times it, with uh, employees, you get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. So what you're seeing is. Uh, a shift. You're seeing some folks that are maybe if you're from Sedalia, it's a good job. If you get if you're a public employee, you get to retire earlier. Maybe it's a pretty decent job, right? To go to go supplement your retirement income. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the qual and the the, sta- the the cost of living in Sedalia is such that you can make it work. You can you can. It's an hour away from Jeff City, so you usually stay, but you can drive home if you need to come to a, to one of your kids' mm-hmm. ball games or something. What you're seeing it really hit hard is the folks that are four or five hours away in the rural areas. You just, it's not worth it to people. And you're seeing folks in the suburbs where this isn't enough money. You're seeing a lot of guys that still live with their parents. You're yeah. getting what you pay for. Yeah. So if you're paying, you know, if you're paying minimum wage, theoretically in the market economy, you're going to get a certain type of employee. Right. And if you're paying someone 35 grand a year to take up five months of their life and drive for, you know, several hours and, and then, you know, you're going to get what you pay for. And I think the suburbs are where you're seeing the, the biggest crush of kind of the lack. If you look at the delegations before term limits and the quality of, look at the, what the people that accomplished in their lives before entering the legislature mm-hmm. and look at the people that are entering now, especially again, from the suburbs where 35 grand doesn't spend as far in, right. let's say Arnold as it would down, you know, in Pulaski County. So I think, I mean, it, a lot of times the market, has a way of figuring stuff out and the market's figuring things out here. Yeah. <clears throat> well, what I'm afraid of is that a lot of times when you do get people out of these uh, city areas, they're, they're lawyers or they're business people that, um, that you, know, you, you have to sort of wonder what sort of, um, what sort of angle they, they have on it. You know, if you're a lawyer, maybe you're trying to increase your bottom line perhaps by uh, becoming a state legislator. Well, you're seeing a historically low number of attorneys in the legislature. Um, mm, okay. You know, it's it's likely that you're going to see the state Senate will have no Democrat state senators who are an attorney for the first time. And I can ever remember mm-hmm. uh, it's the likely outcome of the of the elections you're going to see. So let me just do a quick thought here. Uh, Tony Luptemeyer is an attorney from Platte County, the Kansas City suburbs of Northland. Bill White from Joplin's an attorney, a Republican. Um, I'm not even sure there's anybody else running for states on the Republican side that's a, that is an attorney that's that's likely to win. Uh, there's a race in St. Charles, but he's running against an incumbent who's uh, that attorney's got a very uphill fight against the incumbent state senator. Um, so I would say you're going to have two lawyers. They're both going to be Republicans, and uh, I I don't disagree with you, but but really if if your thought is I'm going to change some laws to help me for mm-hmm. my profession. It, it, you know, when you, when you go to the floor with a bill that helps your profession, you get savaged. It looks self-interested. So if that's, if somebody's listening and their thought is, well, I want to get this law changed so I can make more money. I'm going to run for the state house. Mm-hmm. Um, 
his, there's no historical precedent to back up your instinct there. Okay. Okay. That, that's been some of the talks I've been hearing uh, in, in previous sure. uh, podcasts that we've had. So that, that I'm, I'm very pleased to hear that about, uh, about the state legislature. I would just say point to the point to the point to the example where that's the case. There was one state senator from Farmington who got sued for discrimination in his business, and he carried a law and ultimately passed it that makes it harder to sue for discrimination. But he was maligned, and it was it was not it was it's the exception, not the rule, from mm-hmm. my observation. Well, the uh, the newspaper that that you run, uh, the Missouri Times, will hopefully help catch you know these types of issues that go on. That that uh... you know, people are pretty upfront about it, though. I mean, it, it's one of those things where, for the most part, they fill out a, a personal financial disclosure, and every you know you get to, when you're around somebody this much. By the time you have enough seniority to actually carry a law that would have any influence and matter, people know where you work. People mm-hmm. know your background. They know where you, what your wife does for a living. They know your family. And and if you and, and just by example, if you start bringing legislation that would somehow help yourself, it, it's it, people police it themselves just because of the relationships they have and the intimate knowledge you gain of somebody by being around them for this many months a year and this indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. So let's move on. There's a uh, August ballot, which uh, offers a referendum. I I believe it's on the August ballot, a referendum to expand Medicaid health coverage in Missouri. Sure. Uh, What is your opinion about it? Are Missouri's for or against it? And and has, do you think the COVID-19 has influenced this decision at all or would influence their Um, decisions? Maybe a little in the suburbs. I mean, COVID-19 is the most geographically uh, what your opinion on COVID-19 in the state of Missouri is almost exclusively dependent on two things, your political ideology and your, uh, your, and your zip code you live in. Mm-hmm. Um, in the suburbs of St. Louis, there was more cases. It's taken very seriously in the rural areas. It's to the point where they are so sick of hearing people tell them there's a pandemic coming. They told them from, oh, what was it? Uh, oh, they January told them February, from... Yeah. St. Patrick's Day mm-hmm. until May until Flag Day almost that this enormous pandemic was going to come and kill everyone and in many places yes there is you know a few dozen people that are sick but you know it's less than the traffic fatalities they had mm-hmm. and so they're pretty ticked off that their 401k is demolished that their businesses broke some of them going out of business over some and they're constantly getting lectured about wearing masks and gloves and whatever and there's never been a pandemic. So in some cases, no, I, Medicaid expansion will pass by a lot. Mm-hmm. I won't even be close. Yeah, I, I think if you just stopped everyday Missourians on the street and said, do you want to expand Medicaid? They might say no. But uh, I don't know where that would be. They voted on Obamacare once, and it was hugely Missourians by huge margins said no. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's not going to be a there's – there's, there's only going to be one campaign, and that campaign is going to spend millions and millions of dollars to pass med, you want if you want to talk about places where people go to help themselves, it's not the legislature that much. Mm-hmm. It's the ballot. It's, mm-hmm. They go put things on the ballot. Look at the medical marijuana guys. Those guys are in that business. They wanted to <clears throat> make a change. They wanted to change the law in Missouri to allow for their business. They went to the ballot. They didn't go to the legislature. I mean, they may have tried to hire a couple lobbyists at the end of session one year, but for the most part, they went to the ballot mm-hmm. and made it happen. And that's where you're seeing people. If you want to look for people who have a self-interest in something and where they're going in Missouri, it's to the ballot. Mm-hmm. So, I would uh, I would say that uh, that Medicaid expansion passes by a huge margin because the hospitals, 
and the healthcare providers that have a vested interest in seeing it pass are going to put up a lot of money and no one's going to put any money up on the other side and they'll pass yeah. by a lot. Well, Missouri overall, I think it was the, one of the statistics I read uh, recently was over the past five years, actually, I think it was since 2014, so a little bit over five years, we've had uh, 14 uh, health clinics and, and rural hospitals that have closed and that's put some pressure on people in the rural areas to now have to travel further or, you know, get uh, perhaps uh, less quality to their health care. Do you think that uh, Medicaid expansion might um, might help mitigate that at all? Well, I'll tell you, it'll be a funny concept. When you look at the results on election night, if I know Missouri, the places where it's the least popular will be the places where it's needed the most. Hmm. And so... You'll see the cities that, I mean, if you have barns, let's be honest, you're, you're in St. Louis, it's not healthcare deficient. There are some folks that don't know how to get on Medicaid or even what it is mm-hmm. and have in, don't have insurance in the cities. But for the most part, in the cities where the Medicaid expansion will pass by the most, people have access to pretty good healthcare. The rural areas where they'll vote it down or, or it'll be close, the largest percentages of no votes will come from rural Missouri and the places where it'll probably be helped the most. So it's an interesting dichotomy, but uh, I, I would say that this is just, I'm going to look into my sign of knowledge and make a prediction here. Um, it will be when they write the rules and regs for Medicaid, it will be written by a governor from rural Missouri and a legislature who's predominantly represented by rural Missouri, and they will force the healthcare companies to beef up access to healthcare in rural Missouri as part of the windfall. Mm-hmm. And some would argue it's not a windfall, but part of the large amount of money that's going to be put into the system that it'll be uh, that they will force them to do some things to to enhance rural health care mm-hmm. would be my prediction. Okay. Well, that would be good. So uh, speaking of the rural areas, uh, farmers have had a uh, pretty tough time lately. Uh, you know, there's the record flooding over recent years, and there was uh, obviously a trade war with China that has, uh, in a sense, backfired onto the farmers because of the reduction and demand for uh, the types of crops that are largely produced. Trade war is not over. Yeah, and it's not over yet. And then, of course, COVID nineteen disrupted the uh, food distribution chain. So, um, this is an interesting situation because you know farmers are rugged individuals. At least that's the stereotype that uh, guys like me buy into. Uh, they, they don't they don't want a handout, uh, and I hear this time and time again. They don't yeah. want a handout, but you know, they do need help. And so how to help, how to help the farmers get through this, this, uh, this period of, of you know, the, the triple whammy of the trade war and the COVID-19 and the flooding. How do we do that? Well, I mean, look, I'm, I'm from a farming community. I grow grapes myself, but the thought that farmers are against handouts is not something I've ever seen. I mean, mm-hmm. the, there's subsidies that are done that, I don't really like to call them handouts, but you tell me what a subsidy is. And, and there's a lot of friends I know in agriculture that can explain to you why that's not the case. But I'll just tell you, I mean, there's there's a, there's an element of it's in our national interest um, to do this. And so we do not mm-hmm. at a not at a for profit. We're not coming out ahead on it necessarily directly. It's an indirect benefit and however, whatever you want to call it. Um, Look, I think that President Trump uh, will will again get votes from farming communities and probably 
not record numbers like he did the first time, but but huge numbers. Mm-hmm. He did say he was going to do this. This was very predictable to people. I think some folks thought, like some of the things the president says, he says he'll do with them and won't. He actually did this one. Mm-hmm. And it's maybe you're going to see some benefit in the manufacturing sector. I sure hope so, because you're seeing a ton of pain in the ag sector. Yeah, yeah. And so, I, I you know, I, I'm from the boot hill. I understand the appeal of Trump. When he when he talks hard to people, I like that. I'm I'm white trash myself. Grew up in the trailer. <laughs> I like it when he brings some of that heat. Mm-hmm. I I don't like it when I have to see the effects that it brings. When the, I, I I don't know how you'd know if you want a trade war, but but I hope if you're by by definition if you're in a fight, you have to know what you're willing to expend to get something. And I hope the president is aware of what he's expending to get what he's trying to get. Well, it's um, that that um, you're, you're getting onto an uh, uh, interesting topic here because the, um, the 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 trade war with China. It, and I'm I'm not against it myself uh, personally, but um, the it, the uh, unintended consequences, let's say, are that the ag sector is paying for the manufacturing and high tech sector. They're they're being made to you know uh, make that sacrifice, and I don't know if that was foreseen. Uh, when you know the trade war started, uh, but uh, that's that's the reality right now, and that's um, so. It, it, yeah, I, I look at the popularity of the president. Uh, you know, w- with this action of, of starting this trade war, um, it just. Uh, but but does, has he lost any popularity over this at all? Do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, look. Here's the thing: you're gonna you see a lot of a lot of Republicans I know privately think the president acts like a jackass mm-hmm. and don't agree with some of this. I mean, look, Dick Gephardt ran his whole career in politics, representing, I don't know if he made it out to Fenton, but South South County, St. Louis, and it was all based off tariffs, wanting to put tariffs on things to help manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, there, this is, uh, there are people that are free traders that believe he's making a mistake. Um, I would say I'm not probably qualified to pass judgment on that, but I haven't really seen the benefits yet. And maybe it's part of it. Maybe the Chinese are just waiting him out and maybe he gets reelected. But I, 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 I'll, I'll tell you a story I heard. One time Henry Kissinger came to uh, the Missouri Capitol mm-hmm. and Governor Hearns was governor at the time and rolled out the red carpet, of course. And it was all, you know, interesting guy telling interesting stories. And, and it was said, uh, I heard the story from Governor Hearns' wife a long time ago uh, who was there. They said, um, they were asking him what people in, in China thought, because he went to China, comes back. Mm-hmm. Like, well, what do they think about this? What do they think about that? And then finally said, what do they think about the French Revolution? He goes, well, I asked him that. And he said, this is the most telling part about China. He said, I asked the, the, the premier, what do you think of uh, about the French Revolution? Mm. And he said, the guy thought for a minute, stared out the window, and he goes, too soon to tell. Oh, wow. These are people that think very long term. Yeah, that's 200 so, years plus, yeah. Wow. My assumption is they think that we will buckle, and I think that we will buckle, and probably not see a lot of benefit from it. Mm. But that's just my opinion. Yeah, yeah, they play the long game, and absolutely more, more. They have more patience, perhaps, than uh, than we would in this situation. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how that turns out. But um, it, well, it, it's. Um, you know, you, on top of the trade war, you've got uh, the, the the president's response to COVID nineteen, right, wrong, or indifferent. It has been heavily criticized, and um, 
in these recent protests, uh, he, the president has struggled with proper messaging over this. And so um, besides the trade war, has any of these other factors contributed to any uh, rise or fall in his popularity? Well, I mean, there's two things here. One, we're, the only way to really scientifically measure that's polls. Mm-hmm. And Donald Trump on election day proved more popular than any poll. Yeah. Our final poll had him up 15. I projected he would win by 17 just because of the trend line. He won by 19. So, you know, there are people. The media has been so ridiculous to Trump because he's, and partly because he's been so ridiculous to them. They're both cartoons of each other. Mm-hmm. They're, they're both each other's best friends. They make it where Trump can say anything and people think the media hates him because if you watch even a professional, Anderson Cooper, professional journalist, world-class journalist, mm-hmm. he hates Donald Trump. You can tell. Yeah. He, he, even, I think he tries not to show it, but it, everybody it comes through. Yeah, he can be talking yeah. about anybody. He hates the man. And so it, whatever he says, a person like myself that watches this program from time to time, I'm like, well, I got to, I don't know if that's true or not because you hate this guy. Right. So I, it's like it's like you know the the first hand account of the guy that stole the other guy's girlfriend that he did something wrong and, you know it's a little suspect right mm-hmm. and so I I I think that they they Trump won't be as popular for two reasons one very seldom in in American history is a president more popular when he runs look at Barack Obama when he ran for re-election he was not as popular mm-hmm. as when he ran for election the first time Reagan probably bucked that trend but I think if you look back that's a rarity yeah. um, that's not normally the case. Two, I think there's just people that get tired of the drama. They get tired of the constant drama. They get tired of constantly, you know, him always being on Twitter, doing things that, that look, as, I, as far as his job as president, mm-hmm. you could argue that maybe his decisions weren't the best. I'm sorry. The judges he put on the Supreme Court were mainstream conservative judges, mm-hmm. probably more so than the two Democrats that Obama put on the court, if you want the truth about it. Mm-hmm. Um but then you look at tariffs. I mean, okay, tariffs, if you're saying tariffs are an awful, horrible thing that no one would ever do, well, we'll tell that to Dick Gephardt, you know, tell mm-hmm. that to the union guys. I mean, I, I, I don't, the, the stuff he's, the stuff he's actually done in my view, going to North Korea and trying to, trying to ease tension. Right. You could make arguments. They're all good and bad decisions, but they're not insane outlandish thing. What is insane and outlandish is the constant drama he creates by his attitude and the way he treats people and I would argue that's part of his political charm and part of his political power. I would also argue that that, that is probably what is wearing on people, especially look at Ann Wagner's district, places mm-hmm. like where she's at. I think folks get a little tired of the drama. And there, there's folks down where I'm from in the boot here, they're like, give them hell, Donald. They don't care. Mm-hmm. But, but I would say that just the constant drama is his biggest mm-hmm. opponent right now for remaining popular. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's interesting you point out his relationship with the media because they are codependent on each other in many respects. Oh God, yes. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's a sort of a love hate relationship, and but in the end, they both sort of win in in a sense. So, um, getting back to local politics here, um, how would you rate uh, Governor Parson's response to COVID nineteen? And and just want to preface this a little bit because I, I I live in a in an area I guess you'd call it ex-urban or suburban, I'm right on the edge of the rural area, so I, I, I get exposed to all kinds of people out here. And um, I, and I personally run into a number of people that, that seem to conflate COVID-19 mitigation with personal freedom. And um, and we talked earlier about, you know, how, how people in, in, the midway, in, in the farming communities have never been touched by COVID-19, 
and uh, sort of resent all this uh, uh, reaction to it. But um, anyways, it's kind of a long circuitous question here, but how would you rate Governor Parson's response to COVID-19 in Missouri? Well, I will tell you, I thought it was outstanding, frankly. I thought mm-hmm. that this is not the time you want an office, the grandstander that's doing stuff for Facebook likes and just the silly drama. You wanted the guy who was steady at the wheel, you mm-hmm. know, competent, good leadership. And I hear Mike Parsons, the governor of the most diverse state in the nation. And I, I think he, I think he's, I think he succeeded when he's allowed local folks to make local decisions. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier for somebody in Eureka that's ticked off about the COVID response to get rid of Sam Page and his Mike Parsons. And in my view, when he kept the, when he kept the response, a local response by local leaders, and he assisted them in whatever that decision was, I thought his statewide order was because of media pressure, and I think he buckled to some people that were giving him, I don't know about bad advice, but, you know, the, the urban papers were going to bang on him every hour until he gave him an order. And it's and here's the thing. If you're from St. Louis, frankly, you want the government to play a bigger role in your life. You want them to tell you what to do. You want more government. Nothing wrong with that. There's people all over the world that want more government. If you're from the rural area, you want the government to leave you alone. And 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 frankly, COVID exasperated all of that. I mean, I I get it. I, I I don't. I'm one that doesn't. I don't have a problem with people that view things differently than me. Mm-hmm. I, I am just you know. I'm I'm certainly not the the fountain of all knowledge. There are people who live in certain places in this state, and they elect leaders that that they're not stupid. They're they they know what they want, and they're getting it. Mm-hmm. And so they want more government. They want more government involvement in their lives. They want to be led and directed and told what to do, and the government does it. Mm-hmm. And I have a hard time. It's not it's not my place to tell them what to um, do and think. Uh, and and so I think that letting letting Quentin Lucas, Sam Page, Vida Cruson give you, lock you down, tell you to stay in your basement, tell you to wear a bunch of masks and stuff. Good for you. You get over to Tim Brinker in Franklin County. He's like, yeah, no. Do here's the facts. We're going to focus on our nursing homes. You should know the facts as we know them. And then here's what we, we suggest you do, but we're not going to order you to do it. Uh, liberal people want the government to order you to do more things. And it, I don't view that as bad or terrible. It's good as a fact. And the COVID was a great example of that. So I guess if you, you know, if you, if you didn't like your local, there's some conservatives in the St. Louis area that didn't like their local um, government response they wanted the state to come in and be heavy-handed well you probably didn't like it if you're from rural missouri and you're pissed off that even bothered you for a month well you probably didn't like it either but i think that he you know nobody knew there wasn't like oh remember that pandemic seven years ago that we can think back on Mm -hmm. that wasn't real so i thought he did a fine job thought it's a very mike parson diverse missouri job okay yeah, well, it uh, you know in in the intro to the show here, I talked about Missouri being um, sort of at war with itself in many respects, and this really came to head back in the Civil War. I know I'm going back quite a bit in history here, but um, it, it is a difficult state to govern, I would think, because you have such um, diversity in the in the types of people where they're living, whether they're urban or suburban or rural. It's a uh, it's a difficult uh, it's a difficult job for sure. So, um, getting on to uh, getting toward the end of our interview here, I just want to co- cover a couple more topics here. Um, we've had uh, one of the rallying cries in the recent protests has been to quote defund the police, and you know, on the face of it, it seems like a ridiculous proposal. But 
you know, and we could certainly discuss what defund the police actually means. We could consume an entire podcast to talk about it. And in some respects, it actually isn't ridiculous. I think uh, there's some good arguments for it. But uh, but putting my own opinion aside here, most importantly, what does it mean to the typical Midwestern or Missouri or a Missouri person or Midwestern in general? What does it mean defund the police to them? Well, I mean, I think defund the police means what it says. I mean, I'm not one to try to. I had Rasheen Aldridge on my show this week. Mm-hmm. He had a little bit of a nuanced view of it, but I mean, defund the police means you defund the police. The police are getting a level of funding. You cut that funding. Now, I think that's, you know, fine to say, but folks in St. Louis, city, county, and city passed Prop P, what, two, three years ago? Mm-hmm. Totally meant to pay, putting more money into the police. Right. I'm going to tell you, I, I, I think this isn't the urban rural issue people think it is. Mm-hmm. You you, you have folks, let's go through the woke corridor of St. Louis County. You're Afton, not really Afton, but you're Webster Groves, Kirkwood, Ledoux, Clayton, kind of your, your woke areas, right? Mm-hmm. The city has their own that are just socialist areas, but this is okay, we're offended by everything, we're always upset, Donald Trump is evil because he tweets mean things to people that we like, and those type of folks, right? Those folks live where they live for a reason. People live in Webster Groves, not Washington Avenue, for a reason, right? Now, it's very, I, I'm from the boot hill, I'm a, I'm a visitor in St. Louis, I love St. Louis, I love the Cardinals, I have like a mental defect about the Cardinals, I love the Cardinals so much, you can't even imagine. <laughs> I, I'm honestly thinking, well, the reason I have a house in St. Louis is just because my view of the Cardinals and Jack Buck and Whitey from back in the day is oh, so yeah. Yeah. passionately and over the top that I just, I love the place. But but let's be honest. If you live in, in Webster Groves, you live there for a reason. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons is they have a lot of cops. Trust me. Yeah. I went to pick my buddy up in Glendale one time, and I had a, a ticket from 10 years ago that I I thought I'd pay, but my, my tags were maybe I had a blinker off. Or I didn't blink at a thing. There's more. It's like a, it's like the greens on an Iraq. There's more cops swarming around those places. I am white trash in the boot hill. Just because cops are there doesn't mean I feel more safe. Mm-hmm. So I, you live there for a reason. And part of it is you don't want crime. And in the city, there's a lot of crime. Just look at the stats. All right. So defund the police is one of those things. It's like the one issue that the folks in Clayton, they're like, yeah, justice for Mike Brown and George Floyd. And, I mean, if you can't see what happened with George Floyd and be scared about the world you live in and the country, then you're you're more callous than me. Mm-hmm. But I will say this, defund the police will be, will be where your Clayton, Webster, Kirkwood folks who are all for you, who are showing up at your marches, that's the part where they will get real quiet because they, if they wanted the police defunded, they wouldn't live in Kirkwood. Yeah. And just for our listeners, uh, uh, education, Kirkwood, Clayton, Webster Groves, these are the uh, Ladue, these are the more uh, well-to-do areas in, in the St. Louis area. So Very democratic, very woke, lots of inherited wealth. And uh, I think woke will, they will get pretty sleepy when it comes to defunding their police, which is, I would argue, probably the reason they live in the areas you just described. So, you know, could you start, I mean, look, I, I think you're going to have to treat police like, like you treat teachers, right? Teachers are public employees. So if, you, if you're a teacher in Missouri and you go to school, the state will help you with going to school to get your master's. You got to be a bachelor's to be a teacher, right? Mm-hmm. So you get your bachelor's in whatever, teaching, and you're going you're gonna to be a sixth grade history teacher, right? Good for you. Wonderful thing. Mine, uh, my, uh, my seventh grade teacher was David Wilson, heck of a guy. David Wilson took part of this, I think he got some tuition reimbursement from the state, 
went to a state school, got his master's. Then he got a raise because he thought, well, he's more educated, he's more valuable. If you're a cop, this, I think the, the jurisdictions are going to have to pay for you to go to school. Get you get social work. Because I talked to a buddy of mine that's, on, that's in the police force, and he goes, you send social workers into some of these things? We're going to have a lot of dead social workers. Hmm. And I think that's true. I mean, they don't they call the cops for a reason, right? Now, could the cops have more training? Could the cops have somebody there to go along with the cops to help? Sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you have to – I'm a believer in self-interest. And mm-hmm. all the good words in the world don't matter. You know, all the good intentions, all the folks in Webster Groves hard tab. They live in Webster Groves with a bunch of cops for a reason. Mm-hmm. And it's in their interest, too. It's what they want. And so my view of it is you go and you say, hey, you know, hey, we got to – we have to sit back. We have to think through um, the issues. We have to – we really have to – we're going to have to step back and say – African Americans aren't going to take this anymore. It's in our interest for our businesses and for our communities to address the issue of police, of the police relationship with African Americans. Whether you agree, whether you're the, the thick blue line guy or whatever, it's in your interest now yeah. to address this. Yeah. And I think it's like homophobia was a was a real crutch Missouri Republicans used for a while until about five years ago they had a bill that something about baking cakes or something i don't remember the details but i do know what happened there was the business community from st louis come over and said knock it off we need these young kids we need people that can code coders are young they're a little more liberal they don't want to move to a place where they feel like there's a bunch of bigots whatever political it was it was just some political grandstand Mm -hmm. whatever you're doing you want you have super majorities you want all the offices knock it off and there hasn't been a homophobic bill since. So I, if you, if you believe in your cause, I'm a, I'm a big believer in self-interest. So mm-hmm. we'll see what ends up happening, but I think something has to be done. It's in our interest to do something. What we end up doing, I'm interested to see. Yeah. Okay. Well, I like that answer. Very thorough. So a final topic today, um, there is this thing called clean Missouri amendment. And this is amendment that was mm-hmm. passed by voters in an almost two to one margin back in 2018 and it basically included measures to limit the power of lobbyists, uh, reduce campaign finance contributions, and create new redistricting rules. Um, but uh, now suddenly the issue has been put back on the ballot again this year. Um, and, and according to critics of this of this new issue that's been put on the ballot, uh, it's basically going to undermine what was uh, done uh, in, in the clean Missouri ballot in uh, 2018. And uh, according to the critics, uh, the new the new ballot initiative will overturn the uh, the so-called fair map rules put into law by the voters. That is the maps that are drawn for gerrymandering districts. Uh, it's going to uh, basically replace the good policy in the Missouri Constitution with, uh, like I say, a, a radical gerrymandering scheme. And uh, they've been accused of this plan is deceptive. It's deceitful. Uh, you know, it's all about protecting incumbent politicians and rigged and super safe districts where voters can't hold them accountable. So uh, what's happening here? Can you explain to us? Uh, there was, there was, uh, it seemed like in 2018, they wanted one thing and now it's kind of turning into something uh, else. Everyone's lying. That's what's happening. Hmm. Uh, hmm. This had nothing to do with lobbyist gifts or contributions that there were already a cap on lobbyist gifts of five bucks or something. Mm-hmm. They lowered those. There was already a cap on donations. They lowered it by a hundred dollars. How much you could give uh, the truth is, if you're a moderate or a liberal, you want lobbyists to have an influence, even though you don't know it. Mm-hmm. Because if you leave writing unemployment law up to a 24-year-old kid who lives with his parents who's never had it, who's never been an, who's barely been an employee, probably part full time for anything, and never had an employee, 
that you, you you want some lobbyists in that room that represent businesses or or labor groups or whatever because you I mean the I get lobbyists are bad it's like the post dispatches lobbyists are bad except they have seven employed to keep you ever wonder why you don't pay sales tax when you buy a paper to machine lobbyists mm-hmm. Kansas City Star's big glass building was built on tax credits who got those lobbyists. Mm. Now, I, I, I get it. Lobbyists have been maligned. And if you believe the regular media, they, you think they're terrible. And, and, and I'm not here to change your mind. I don't sure. employ a lobbyist. So I, I maybe maybe they don't practice what they preach. And neither do I. So, however, um, Clean Missouri was a gerrymandering deal. Traditionally, the state has uh, had a group of appellate court judges draw maps. Mm-hmm. They were there, I think, five from each party. Right. And what you saw. Missouri isn't a supermajority because of the maps. Mm-hmm. I, even the most partisan person, when you get them alone, they're like, well, maybe a little bit here and there. The problem is the state is Republican. The state back in the day had a Democrat majority, but you still had a pro-life, pro-gun majority, right, throughout the legislature. There's never been a hit time in the history of the state where there's been a pro-choice, anti-gun legislature. Mm. You had Democrats like Danny Staples, who's pro-life, pro-gun, what was the Democrat on other stuff? So now all those people are Republicans. The, the, the Missouri aligned with the rest of the country with Reagan, and it just slowly came in. Uh, and now the Democrats are all situated in tightly, densely populated areas right, right on the state line. Mm-hmm. And so Republicans are in very sparsely populated rural areas, and it's very it's impossible to draw maps and keep communities to keep you. You can't keep Kirkwood contiguous without it being pretty much one rep that's probably at this point going to be a democrat so it, it just is what it is uh the democrats want they they could not win under the current rules because whether you, it's not it's not it's not unfair to democrats that they all live right on the state line in st louis against city and all on top of each other mm-hmm. that, that's just demographics it's not it wasn't a republican strategy they're not that smart um so what has ended up and happened is they passed a pretty slick deal where they distracted you with lobbyist gifts and campaign. And then they put in a different system mm-hmm. to where the state auditor will essentially hire somebody and that personal draw maps probably, mm-hmm. I, I thought probably slightly slighted because here's the, the dirty secret. Ferguson came out of Nixon's problem, came out of a lot of his DSEG work he did back in the nineties, mm-hmm. had bad relationships in that community because he did something that almost every single person will tell you was the right thing to do and and into the DSEG basically pilfering of state funds in North County, North City of St. Louis. Uh, however, the people that were given that money never forgave him. Mm-hmm. Now, he appointed Nicole Galloway. Now, the truth is, this is what I think comes of this. Getting a yes is hard. And again, there was a huge campaign for Clean Missouri, no campaign against it, so they got a yes. This time, there'll be a full campaign for no. I don't think there'll be a campaign for yes. They'll, it'll go down. Won't even be close. Hmm. It'll, they'll wipe the floor with the, the side. And, and just for everybody's education, people who aren't from Missouri, Jay Nixon was the governor. Uh, I don't remember what years he was governor. And uh, Nicole Galloway was— in eight. In, in, pardon me? Like in 2008. 2000, okay, 2008. And uh, Nicole Galloway, uh, she's actually now running for uh, the Democratic seat for governor at this point, Correct. Yeah, she's got an uphill fight there. Yeah, but she's uh, the state auditor. You can lose a lot of support if you're Trump and go from 19 and still win by 10. 
Yeah. And if the top of your ticket wins by 10, you're not winning yeah. underneath it. Yeah. Well, I I just wanted to, to educate people who are not from the Missouri area as to, you know, yeah. some of these some of these uh, uh, terms that you were using here. Okay, well, that's very interesting. Um so uh I think we're kind of running out of time right here, but I just uh, wanted to say that um catch up everybody on what we're doing here. We're talking with uh Scott Fawn, who's a publisher of the Missouri Times newspaper and host of a statewide weekly political television show called This Week in Missouri Politics. And for those of you who are curious about Missouri politics, you can catch up with the latest news at themissouritimes.com. The Missouri Times is all one word, no hyphens, no underscores. You can go check out our show this week with Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe. Um, uh, it's up at TWMP.TV. This coming Sunday, we'll have State Senator Brian Williams on. Uh, he's from uh, the University City area in St. Louis County, and uh, be an interesting, interesting, fun discussion. Good, yeah. Yeah, I've uh, watched a couple of your shows. It's uh, very good. Wonderful. Uh, well, uh, Scott, thank you for dropping by to talk with us today and giving us the uh, perspective uh, of Missouri as well as uh, Midwestern perspective on things. Honored to be on. Uh, look, look forward to uh, getting to listen to it all put together and stuff. All right. Thanks. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the Alliance Party After Dark podcast. Please consider subscribing to this podcast so that you don't miss any new episodes. Each week will bring you interesting topics from the Alliance Party. You may subscribe on iTunes, Google, or Spotify. Also, keep in mind that the podcast now has a Twitter page at Alliance on Air. All content for this podcast is copyright the Alliance Party. Views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Alliance Party. This podcast is a production of the Alliance Party, a decades-long movement of fiscally conservative, moderate, accountable, and reasoned independents, former Democrats, former Republicans, and alienated voters who demand that our elected officials work in the spirit of nonpartisanship for all constituents and provide a better future for our country. This podcast was made possible by your donations to the Alliance Party. If you'd like to join the Alliance Party, visit our website at theallianceparty.com. Drop in, see what we're all about, and get involved. Volunteer your time, make a donation, submit an article or blog, or run for office. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the Alliance Party After Dark, and on behalf of everyone at the Alliance Party, have a wonderful evening, a great week ahead, and we hope you drop in for our next show. Be safe, be aware, and please take care of yourself and those around you.